All right, good morning, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you today. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. It is my joy to welcome you. Can I tell you, I've been thinking about you and praying for you all week long, and I'm so glad you're here today as we continue in our series called Multiply. Now, before we jump into our service today, if I can encourage you to open up your program and pull out your communication card. Uh, we love to know that you were here, and we love to know how to pray for you. So if you could begin to fill this out and then later in the service drop this in the offering basket, that would really bless us, and that would be awesome. Then also in your program, there, there's so much going on around this place. Let me encourage you to really read your program, but there's just two announcements I want to make. There's, there's some classes coming up. We have a membership, if you're liking the church and the services, but you want to know, well, how do I become like a member of Crossroads? We're having a membership class next Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, and you can actually sign up on your communication card. Just on the back where it says sign me up for, just put membership class and you're signed up. We'll send you an email reminder and you'll be good to go. And then also I want to highlight another class that I'm really excited about. Like if you're engaged or seriously dating, or living together, next Saturday night, I'm starting a brand new class called the Premarital Class. It's a four-week class. Every Saturday night uh, starts right here, right after the Saturday night service. So you can come to church on Saturday night and stay for that class. It's going to be awesome. If you're interested in being a part of that, just write Premarital Class on the communication card. Drop that in the offering basket, and that would be fantastic. Now, today we're continuing in our series called Multiply, and we are doing this whole series because Jesus Christ commissioned us as a church to take his message, his ministry, his mission, and multiply it throughout the world. And we see this so clearly, like we, Jesus gave us very clear instructions to do that in his famous last words. Like, do you know the famous last words of Jesus? I, I was getting ready for this message. In fact, it's printed there on your outline. We have an outline for today's message. It's a light blue sheet found in your program if you want to take this out and use it to follow along. All the verses from the Bible that we're looking at are printed there for you, a place to take some notes. And right off the top, I, I printed the famous last words of Jesus. But it was funny to me, as I was preparing this message, I just thought, you know, I'm going to type that into Google. And say, you know, I was just curious, were there any, like, famous last words. And one of the first things that's come up, it just kind of hit me as funny. I thought I'd share it with you. Like this first one right here on the screen says, hey guys, watch this. (laughs) Those could have been my famous last words because I've done some crazy things like that. And then this next one really hit me. Hey ma, look at me. (laughs) And when I snorkel in Hawaii, sometimes I wonder... (laughs) <laughs> or, or what about this next one? I think this guy was uh, like traveling with his family through Yellowstone and wrote this one, this one down. Hey, trust me, I do this all the time. Yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> or if you do, that's your last time, right? And then this last one, this one's kind of creepy, kind of, kind of a hard one. But uh, the worst one is this one. <laughs> what happens if I press this button? Famous last words. Well, can I tell you, Jesus' famous last words were so much more profound, so much more instructive. When he said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 on your outline, this is what he said. 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I mean, all authority. And and why is that? Well, because, guys, he's the one who walked on water, gave sight to the blind, healed the leper, fed the 5,000, stood up to religious hypocrites, died on the cross, conquered death by resurrecting from the dead. Can I tell you, if someone comes along and he claims to be the son of God and he offers to forgive all your sins and give you the gift of eternal life and then he backs it up by coming back from the dead, I'm going with that guy. I'm giving that guy authority. He has all authority because he's the resurrected son of God. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them. Now, did you know that one of the marks of a disciple is someone who has been baptized? And maybe you're here today, and maybe for you, this is your next great step of faith in your journey of following Jesus. Maybe today is the day where God's going to help you find the courage to say, man, I just need to finally step up and commit to being baptized. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, would you underline this key phrase that really relates to the title of our message today, marked by presence with Christ? Underline the phrase, surely I am with you always. Do you know, these were some of the very last words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. Now, here's my question. How could he be with us always? Here we are 2,000 years. How could Jesus be with us always, forever and ever, even to this day? Do you know that Jesus promised to send us his very presence to come live with us 24-7? And that presence is the Holy Spirit. That's how he's with us always. Now, here's my next question as you think about this. So famous last words of Jesus, but here's my question. Then what happened? Like, what happened next? Jesus was born, lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. But what happened next? Well, that's the book of Acts. That's where Acts comes in. It's a story of what happened after Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven. The the story of Acts is how the disciples took the message, the ministry, the mission of Christ, and they multiplied it to such an extent that here we are 2,000 years later, and we're worshiping Christ as our king. What happened next? Acts. Now, some people wonder, well, why do they call it the book of Acts? Well, if you're taking notes, can I encourage you to to write this down? Because some people refer to acts. It's like the the deeds, the events, the actions of what happened after the resurrection. And some people refer to the book of Acts as the acts of the Holy Spirit. The acts of the Holy Spirit. That's what we talked about in our very first message in the series when we looked at how the Holy Spirit is our power source. And in Acts 1.8, it was the primary passage we looked at where Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. You're going to go take my message, my, my mission, my ministry, and you're going to multiply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So some people call Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
Other people refer to the book of Acts as the Acts of the Apostles. You should write that one down, the Acts of the Apostles. Now, the apostles are the ones who traveled with Jesus. They were with him at the Last Supper. They experienced his, his death and his resurrection. You know, Peter, James, John, Philip, Thomas, Andrew, Simon, you know, those guys, they're the apostles. And some people see the book of Acts as, as the book that tells what the apostles did to carry on the message, ministry, and mission of Christ after he ascended to heaven. And that's where we had our second message in the series, the proof of the resurrection. You see, the most compelling proof that Jesus resurrected from the dead, it was more than the empty tomb. It was more than the over 500 eyewitnesses. The most compelling proof of the reality of the resurrection is the changed lives of the apostles who went from running away in fear when Jesus was arrested to boldly proclaiming in the street that Jesus Christ was Lord and Messiah because they saw the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. And they were willing to declare it to to their death. Now, the only logical explanation for the changed lives of the apostles was they saw the resurrected Savior. That's why I put Acts 2.32 on your outline. It says this, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. And so the book of Acts tells what the apostles did after they saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, some call the book of Acts the Acts of the early church. The acts, the actions, the deeds of the early church. And so they read the book of Acts through the lenses of, this is what God did to start the very first church and how the church is supposed to function today. And last week, Pastor Dwayne gave a great message on our purpose as a church. And the key passage we looked at was from Acts 2, 42 through 47. And on your outline, look at this with me. It says this, all the believers devoted themselves Now, would you underline that phrase, devoted themselves? All the believers devoted themselves because the church is made up of those who devote their lives to following Christ as Lord. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's God's word, to fellowship, like coming together as a church family to worship Christ, to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, I want you to look at this list so far. See, I think all of these are key components to really understanding the book of Acts, where we see the acts of the Holy Spirit giving power to carry on the mission of Christ. We see the acts of the apostles and what they did to preach and carry on the message of Christ. And we see the acts of the early church and how it started and how to this very day they carry on the ministry of Christ. But there's one more element here that I, that I want us to focus in on today. I want us to talk about, and that's the acts of the Christians. The acts of, his, of the Christians. See, the book of Acts helps us to see how those who became followers of Christ lived out their faith. Even in the midst of attack and persecution. And by seeing it through those lenses, what it does, it gives us like insight on how we're supposed to act, on how we're supposed to live out our faith in the very real world, how we're supposed to act as believers. And, and here's what I put on your outline, Acts eleven twenty six, very interesting verse. It says this, it was at Antioch 
that the believers were first called Christians. Now, it's interesting to note that the believers in Antioch, they were a mix of both Jew and Gentile believers, but they didn't have much in common. Not race, not culture, not religion. The only thing that they had in common was Christ. But here's the deal, guys. It was the love of Christ that crossed all those boundaries and brought them together and unified them to such a degree that they began to be labeled as Christians. Now, did you know that word Christian, if you're taking notes, it literally means like Christ. Like Christ. You see, the Christians were more, they, they didn't just believe in G. Oh, yeah, I believe in G. It wasn't just something in their head. They had such a devotion. They had such a commitment. Something They had opened their hearts to such a degree that they said, we live our whole lives. We orient our lives to know and love and serve Jesus Christ as king of our lives. It was their goal to become like Christ. Their lives were marked by the very presence of Christ living in them. Let me see if I can explain what I'm getting at this way. You know, um, I, I, I love the time we have on the weekends to come together and worship together. But I think some of the best ministry that takes place in this church happens all throughout the week in our life groups. I believe that life change happens best in small groups. And so from the beginning of this church, we built this whole church on, on having life groups that would meet together and pray together and encourage one another. And so uh, we, we're always encouraging people, hey, get in a group. Get in a group. Get in a group. It will help you grow. It will help you get connected. But I know it's a pretty scary thing to, you know, to, if you've never gone to a, a life group, it's, it's kind of scary. And I thought I'd share with you this, the scariest experience I've ever had in a life group. Several years ago, there's a, there's a couple, uh, Mike and Catherine Johnston. Mike was a fire chief, and he's part of this church. And he was leading a life group for married couples. And they were doing a, a, a study together called Love and Respect. And he was, uh, they'd gone through like this 12-week study, several couples. And Mike called me. He said, hey, Pastor Paul, next week is our last life group together. We're going to finish the study. And I was wondering if you and your wife could come and like we'll share some food and then we'll do our last lesson. And I was hoping as a pastor that you could bless all these couples. And I said, man, what kind of food are you going to have? No, I said, sure. I, I said, man, I'm there. I'm happy to come. So I went to the life group. And we shared some really great food and connecting with these couples. And then Mike started teaching his lesson. There was a little video that they watched. And then Mike started teaching his lesson. And then all of a sudden, the phone rings. And Mike immediately looks at his wife, Catherine, like, man, a really dirty look. Like, I was like, what's going on? And she gets up and she says, oh, hey, everybody, I'm so sorry, but I have to get that. And she gets up and leaves, and Mike's looking at her like, no, you didn't. You didn't just do that to me. Like, I could tell he was visibly, I mean, visibly angry. Well, she's gone. Mike kind of teaches, but he teaches like, man, there's an edge. Like, he's obviously mad. He's teaching, and she comes back in the room. And again, guys, I'm so sorry. Mike stands up, and with anger in his voice, he like looks at her. He says, I told you to shut off that phone before group started. 
And I can't believe while I'm trying to teach, and he's teaching on marriage, (laughs) while I'm trying to teach that you would disrespect me like, and he started walking, I have to tell you, I'm scared. Like, I'm scared. Like, I'm, okay, great. I'm going to have to spend all night counseling the leaders of the group. Like, oh, great. What's happening here? He starts walking towards her like he's going to start yelling at her. And from behind her back, she pulls this out and goes like this. (laughs) The whole thing was an act. And the Oscar for most deceptive couple goes to Mike and Catherine Johnston. Man, I've never seen it. And she goes like this. And then they ta- everybody takes a breath and Mike says, and he makes a point. He said, he said, guys, he said, I want to remind you that when you talk to your wives, even when you're angry or frustrated, you should talk to your wives the same way that you would talk to Jesus Christ. And then he turned it around and talked, and Catherine talked about it, and she said, you know, and you should live out your married life so that everyone who gets close to you, your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, your friends, when they look at you, they see Christ in you. Because, guys, this is what it means to be a Christian. Do you know on the back of your outline, I think they're the best verse that explains what it really means to be a Christian. is Galatians 2.20. Would you look at it with me? Galatians 2.20 says this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. Christ lives. Would you underline that phrase? Christ lives in me. So this life, I live in this earthly body. I live by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, with the rest of the time that I have, what I want us to do with this is I want to walk through two chapters in the book of Acts. And I want to look at two guys who were marked by the very presence of Jesus. And then I want to end by talking about how it relates to you and me right now today. So there on your outline, let's jump right in. Marked by the presence of Christ, Acts chapter 3 and 4. It starts the story like this. Would you write this down? Would you write down this phrase? It starts this way. Peter and John heal a crippled beggar. This is how the story starts. Peter and John. Now, Peter and John, they were everything we talked about in the book of Acts. They had the power of the Holy Spirit. They were apostles. They helped start and lead the early church. But what I want you to see beyond that, so foundational, they were marked by the presence of Christ, by Christ alive in them. So let's look at the story on the screen behind me. It reads this way. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And the story goes on to read that they pulled this man up 
And his ankles and legs were healed and strengthened to the point that this man didn't just, just walk. Man, the Bible says he started walking and then leaping and then praising God. Can you imagine? This man was over 40 years old. Never walked a day in his life and God gave him his legs back. Man, that guy was cutting a rug. He was dancing. I mean, he was like, hallelujah. And, but can I tell you, it caused like such, it caused such a commotion. Like people are saying, who's that guy jumping all over the place? What's going on there? It's, it's this amazing thing. And what I want you to see here so clearly, Peter and John didn't have silver and gold to give, but they gave them what they did have, Christ alive in them. And then this healed beggar together with Paul and John, they went into the temple. And again, everybody's looking all like, can you imagine like in the church, like, hey, honey, what's it? Hey, isn't that that crippled beggar guy? What's going on? We got to go check this out. And a whole crowd gathered around. And then here's the cool thing. This is so cool. They gathered around. And in Acts 3.12 on the screen behind me, it says this. So crowd gathered. It says, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. Well, his opportunity for what? Well, this is what I want you to write down in your outline. Peter saw his opportunity to preach about committing your life to Christ. Peter preaches about committing to Christ. Peter saw his opportunity. And guys, I want to ask you today, those of us who are Christ followers, are you looking for opportunities? Are you praying for opportunities to share your faith, to pray for people in need, to invite people to to service, to talk about what Christ has done in your life? Peter saw his opportunity And the crowds are all worked up. They've seen this miracle. But Peter makes it crystal clear. He basically says, hey, 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 don't look at me as if I've done this miracle. No, no, no. It was the same Jesus. Now, now here's the deal. He He said, and he gets really bold here. He says, it was the same Jesus who you handed over, who you rejected who you murdered and crucified on the cross. God raised him from the dead. And it's the power and presence of Jesus that healed this man, not me. And then he goes and then he ends his message by telling him, and you guys need to do this. And then this is what he says on your outline. I want you to see it. It's what he preaches in Acts 3, 19 and 20. He says, now repent of your sins. Now that word repent literally means change your mind. Change your direction. Repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Now, guys, I'm sure that included all the sins we think of, like lying and lust and murder and stealing. And all your sins will be wiped away. But, but it's more than that. More specifically, he's, he's referring to their sins of hurting and rejecting Jesus. He said, if you'll repent, if you'll change your mind about Jesus, God will forgive you. So instead of rejecting him, when you accept him, God will forgive you. And then here's the result. Check this out. Then times of refreshment will come from the what? The presence of the Lord. Guys, can I tell you, I I see you and I see people all the time. If there was ever a need for a time of refreshment, of renewal, of new life for your soul, this is what happens when you, instead of rejecting Jesus, when you open up your heart to receive him, 
It brings new life, new energy, new power to your life because you know your life is right with God. And God sends the presence of Jesus to live in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, can I tell you, evidently it was a pretty good sermon because the Bible says 2,000 people accepted Christ that day. They put their faith and trust in Jesus. Now, this didn't go over very well with the Jewish religious leaders, and so it leads us to the next part of the story printed on your outline. Would you write this down? Peter and John are arrested by the council. They're arrested by the council. Now, the council was made up of the religious rulers, elders, and teachers of religious law. This was the same council that condemned Jesus to death. So they had a lot of power, and they were not to be trifled with. They had Peter and John arrested, and after spending a night in jail, they were brought before the council. And check out this verse on the screen behind me, Acts 4, 7, and 8. says, they brought the two disciples, and they demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, with the presence of Christ, said to them, and, and here's the deal. Why do you catch this? He's standing before the ones who had Jesus killed, so their lives were in danger. But instead of being worried about himself, like, man, how are we going to get out of this? How are we going to get off the hook? How can, we get, how can we get free from this bad situation? Instead of that, Peter stood up and he preaches to the council. He preaches, and the heart of his message is there on your outline in Acts 4, 10 through 12. This is the message he gave. And it wasn't popular with the council, and it's not popular in our world today, but I want you to hear it. That's what he said. Let me clearly state this, this crippled beggar. He was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, let those words resonate with you for a minute. I want you to underline that phrase, there is salvation in no one else. Friends, that's a powerful statement. What he's saying is salvation comes not by being religious, not by keeping the law, not by obeying the commands or following the rules, not by being good or living by some moral code, He said, only through Christ. And he's saying it very clearly, guys. This is what the Bible says. Our only hope of salvation. And when I say salvation, so you know what I'm talking about. Salvation means that you're having your sins forgiven. You're having your broken relationship with God restored. You're having the gift of eternal life in heaven forever. The Bible says that only comes through a faith-filled relationship with God's son, Jesus And I want to tell you today that that for all of us here today who are Christ followers, I think the the biggest temptation that we face in our generation, a generation that's marked by false tolerance over truth, the biggest temptation is a temptation to compromise the gospel. And kind of say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, but you you believe in Buddha and you believe in Muhammad and You know, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. You can believe in Mother Earth. You can believe in New Age. 
All religions basically lead to the same place anyways, right? Friends, listen to me. We can never cheapen what Jesus did for you on the cross. When he took nails in his hands and feet and shed his blood to die in your place, you can never cheapen that. And if any religion can bring salvation, what that means is Jesus didn't really have to die. He didn't really have to to die in my place on the cross and be crucified so we can be saved. Friends, listen to me. The truth is God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son so that anyone, regardless of race, background, religion, social standing, education, anyone who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. But do you understand Jesus is the only way in fact, he said in himself in John 14, 6 on the screen behind me, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the truth is many people look to so many other things to try to find meaning and purpose and salvation. But friends, it is Christ alone. In fact, I could preach a long time on this point, but you know what? As I was getting ready for this message, I found this lady who like said everything I wanted to say And she did it in under one minute. So I thought, why don't we let her share with us, and then I'll come back and uh, and, uh, share a little bit more. Take a look at this. To be a survivor in this amazing race with a need for speed, you need God's grace. And if you're desperate like housewives watching days of our lives, you can't cope without hope, and that's not on a soap. If you look into Oprah or Dr. Phil, you can shop nonstop or pop a pill, but the void won't fill and the pain won't kill till you love the one that hung on the hill. Kicking back in your lazy boy easy chair watching who wants to be a millionaire, nah, you're not going to find it there. No American Idol or Council Tribal has a final answer that'll satisfy you. CSI ain't got a clue. SVU don't know what to do. Not the ER or the OC, nothing on a CDT. TV, DVD, or MP3 can save you and me. CNN's got no good news. Here's a headline. You must choose. It's not a simple life, Paris Hilton. It's treading on thin ice, living in sin. You can be an apprentice for Donald Trump or eat Fear Factor fast food from a dump. You can be a heavy hitter, a Wheel of Fortune winner, a Fox News no-spin spinner, a flat-out sinner. But you better check this life that you're living and make sure your sins are forgiven. I bet you 50 cent Elvis Dunn came and went, and eventually every black-eyed P, Gwen Stefani, P. Diddy, and Britney, every wannabe on MTV with the icy bling, every Dixie chick that sings, they all gonna sing. See the King of Kings. I don't care if you J Lo or Leno or Bono. One thing you gotta know: someday you're gonna die, bro. Then where are you gonna go? Hey, I'm not talking some punk junk that's irrelevant, like your grandma's church from way back when. It's not some preacher feature on TBN that you need to be liking or listening. The real superstar is Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth and the life. One day he's gonna split the sky. He's the brightest light and the highest high. So what I came to say and what I'm telling you is, don't buy that stupid stuff they be selling you. It's all designed to fill your head and waste your space until you're dead. Here's the bottom line of my rhyme: Give your life to God while there's still time. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say right there. That's, and that's what Peter and John said to the council. They stood up and they said, Jesus is the only way. Well, how do you think that went over? Well, can I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised by their response. But here's what the, how they, the council responded to uh, Peter and John's message. You see it in Acts 4.13. And this is kind of the, the whole point of my message today, right here in this passage. Acts 4.13, it says this, And the members of the council 
were amazed. They were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were what? Underline that phrase. Ordinary men with no specific training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Now underline that phrase, men who had been with Jesus. So key, guys, so key. I wanted you to see this so clearly because many of you may be thinking, wow, Paul, hey, man, great story. Great story. I mean, these two high-powered apostles, man, they heal a crippled beggar. That's awesome. Then they get up and preach a message and 2,000 people accept Christ. That's awesome. And then they have the courage to stand up to the council and they give a message. <laughs> man, Peter and John, they're, they must be, they're awesome guys. Great story. But some of you in the back of your mind, you're going like this. But I could never be like that. But I could never do anything like that. See, Paul, you don't understand. I'm just an ordinary, everyday person with my own failures and flaws and mess-ups. God could never use me to do something like that. I'm just trying to get through my everyday life. Well, let me say a few things about this. First, I want you to look at a great quote from a great writer by the name of Henry Blackaby on your outline. He says this, History is largely the tale of how God used, what? Ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes throughout time. In fact, again, instead of me preaching a long time on this, I want you to see another video. And this video really makes a point. It captures this idea of like, and here's the setup for the video. It's like this church, and they're interviewing people to be a leader, like to lead a life group. And they're trying to find people who would be qualified to lead a life group in the church. And so watch this video. I'm confident you'll get the point, And then we'll come talk a little more. Check this one out. All right, next up, um, King David. Thanks for coming, King David. What qualifies you to be our next small group leader? Well, what was that word you used uh, before my name? Uh, King? Yeah, King, right. How many of those am I up against? My strengths. Uh, plagues. I'm pretty good with the staff. Can't decide who gets the last brownie? Cut it in two. Boom. Wisdom. Um, parting large bodies of water. Desert survival skills. Weaknesses. <laughs> Weaknesses. Mountain climbing. Um, commandment retrieval. Does that look weak to you? And I can make a pretty mean goat sausage. Okay, I mean, maybe haircuts. Women. Whose isn't? <laughs> so I lied. I said my wife was my sister. They were going to kill me. <laughs> Why are we even getting into this? I'm just not sure we're comfortable with you in a leadership position. Look, it, it, Jesus Christ himself called you Satan. He was trying to make a point. Get thee behind me, Satan. I believe is the exact quote. Bathsheba. I knew you were going to go there. It was a rock to the back of the head. I really regret that it happened. And that's when you slept with the maid? My wife said she was fine with it. Abraham. What? Come on. Okay, timeline. Um, first I slept with his wife. No, 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 no. 
I didn't kill Christians. Then I lied to him. I was just watching people's coats. Then I had him killed, okay? They killed Christians. It's a long time ago. Besides, that was a different guy. That was Saul. Have <laughs> ever killed anyone? What? You got somebody giving you beef? Huh? You need something taken care of? Where's the app? Yo, bring it, huh? Didn't you deny Christ three times? No. Well, I'm pretty sure you did. No. Yeah, I'm almost positive. Uh, no. Okay, I did. No, I've never killed anyone. Why would you even ask that question? This is the guy. Hold on, I... I mean, I do have some questions about my qualifications. I've never been to seminary. Oh, you'll do fine. I really don't have a whole lot of experience. Do you love God? Yeah. Do you want to help people? Sure. Do you have a harem? No, I don't have a harem. <laughs> All right, we're good then. Thank you. Let me, let me think about this. <laughs> oh, 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 got her. Oh, wait a second. Look who has them. Still got the tablets. All right, all right. Look again at that quote from Henry Blackaby. History from Abraham to Moses to Samson to David to Peter and Paul. History is largely the tale of how God used ordinary, flawed people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes throughout time. Do you know when it comes to being greatly used by God, it's not about how great you are or how perfect or together or gifted or skilled you are. It's about how a great God takes imperfect, flawed people like you and me, people who are marked by being with Jesus, like people who are marked by the presence of Christ alive in them, people who are marked by devotion and commitment to follow Christ as Lord and leader of their life, God takes those people and uses them to do extraordinary things. Well, let me wrap up the the story of Peter and John, and then we can talk about our story. See, the council, they didn't know what to do with these guys because a real miracle had taken place. They couldn't deny it, but they didn't want them to keep preaching. So here's what they did. They said, all right, guys, we're going to let you go this time. But we're warning you and we're telling you to never, ever talk or preach about Jesus again. And then I want you to see what Peter and John said in Acts 4, 19 and 20. It says, when Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. And I want you to see that this presence with Christ that was alive in them, that marked their lives. I want you to see how it comes out in that verse right there in the passage below, because this is how it ties into our lives today. Here's the evidence that that you're marked by the presence with Christ. Here's what what they're basically saying. First of all, they're saying Christ gets my highest loyalty, gets my highest loyalty. Peter and John are basically saying, no matter what you tell us to do, God comes first. What about you? Have you nailed that one down? Have you put Christ first place in your heart? Second thing they're saying is, is they had a commitment to obey God regardless of cost. They're saying, hey, we're not going to obey you over God. Even if it ruins our reputation, our future, our lives, we have to do what God tells us to do. And again, what about you? Do you have that mark to say, if God tells me to do something, I I got to do it. 
For some of you today, God's knocking on the door of your heart saying, I'm asking you to open up your heart and let Christ come in. Will you obey him and accept Christ in your life? Some of you have already done that, and you know as you sit here today that Christ commands for his disciples to be baptized. But you've been holding back out of fear or excuse. How about no more excuses? Marked by the presence of God, you obey regardless. And could it be that this very day, Christ is saying, come on, step up and declare that you belong to me and get baptized. Or maybe it's a, another area of your life to get in a group or obeying with your finances or in your relationships or how you honor your spouse or lead your family. And then the last one was this. Marked by the presence of God in your life, it's a desire, a drive to help others know Christ. Even at the risk of their own lives, they took a stand because they wanted to share about the one who died for them and rose again. And can I tell you, that's the whole reason we're here as a church, guys. That's why we exist, to help people know Jesus. Do you know, as I was working on this, this message for this week, I got to confess to you, I was a little nervous about this message. I was a little, to be honest, I was kind of nervous and embarrassed to get up this weekend. Um, earlier this month, I had to have a surgery done uh, on my face. And they found some skin cancer. They had to remove it. And it kind of, it left a really nasty scar on my face. I kind of looked like Frankenstein. And I was nervous about getting up and preaching this morning. In fact, in my, in, in my life group, I asked my life group if they would pray that God would heal this scar. And first of all, I got to tell you, it's pretty amazing how much he healed it even this week. In fact, some of you are going, what are you talking, what scar? What are you talking about? On the side of my face, I have about a three-inch scar. And someone in my group uh, that I asked to pray for, him, someone in my group said, hey, never be ashamed of your scars. They tell who you are. And so uh, I have a scar on my face. Can you, I don't know if you can see it. It's so much better now, so thank God. But, uh, you know, never be ashamed of your scars. They tell who you are. Like... Immediately after she said, immediately made me think of Jesus, who was never ashamed, never embarrassed to stand up for me and allow himself to be scarred in his hands and feet so that I could be saved. So I was thinking about how do you wrap up a message like this? And I can't think of a better way to end our message marked by the presence of Christ than by taking communion together. Because in taking communion you are making a personal declaration that you're a Christian, that you belong to Christ. Like Peter and John, when you take communion, you're taking a stand to declare that Jesus has your highest loyalty. You're taking a stand to say that you want to obey and follow him and that you want others to know the same Jesus that forgave and saved you, believing he can do the same for them. So at this point in getting ready for communion, I'm going to ask Pastor Fred to come. Fred's going to play a song to help us remember the love and sacrifice of Jesus. And then while he's playing, I'm going to ask those of you who are Christians to take your stand and to come forward. And we have four stations. We have two in the front and we have two in the back. And so, you know, you guys come to this one. You guys come to that, you know, front and back. Come and you get the bread, which represents the body of Christ broken for you. You take the juice, 
which represents the blood of Christ that was shed so that you can be forgiven. And you take those elements, and then I want you to go back to your seat, and then you can either just listen to Freddie sing these great words of this song, or you can even sing with him. And then when everyone's had a chance to get their elements, then what I'll do is I'll come back and I'll lead us in taking communion together. So Fred, if you'll lead us now, I'll invite the council members to prepare at their uh, communion stations, and then you come when you're ready. I'd like to read to you from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, as we take communion together. For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray and we say we want our church and our very lives to be marked by your presence. Because we know when you are present, Jesus, that miracles happen. People get healed. People get saved. Marriages get restored. People come to life. Life gets turns around. Families get reunited. We pray, God, that we're, we're a broken, fallen, flawed people. But as we open up our hearts to you, we want to live in your presence. And we want to become more like you every day so that when people look at our lives, they will see Christ in us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.